And at the beginning of any change, the most important kind of support that a leader can give is just listening. Because people are going to be asking those questions about, oh, is this going to be hard? Is this going to be costly? Is this going to be weird? And they don't need you to talk them out of it and they don't need you to reassure them. They just need you to listen to them. Just listen, take it in, acknowledge the legitimacy of their concerns. And then once they feel fully listened to, then you can give them more tangible support. And now, from San Francisco and the UCSF Rosenman Institute, the Health Technology Podcast with your host, Christine Winotto. I am so happy to have Erica Anderson back as our podcast guest. Erica is basically a change guru. She's one of the founders of Proteus, an organization that helps leaders and companies go through big changes. They do this through their unique coaching, consulting, and training programs. Today, Erica talks about how to change from the inside out and how change is the only constant. Here's our conversation. Well, welcome, Erica. It's great seeing you again. Uh, welcome back. So happy to be here. Yeah. So I I know that, you know, for some of you uh, folks that who don't know Erica, maybe it would be good for you to give us a little bit of your background and your journey and your experience in all this uh, book writing. You've been cranking it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll give the little, you know, just a minute. I, I started my company, which is called Proteus, 32 years ago in 1990. And I was just talking about this the other day. The, the reason I started my company, and I feel like entrepreneurs, it's always good to have your why, right? And the reason I started my company was that um, skills for management and leadership and teaming and communication, I saw those as being so important. And when I started the company, which is 30 plus years ago, those skills were called soft skills. Like they don't matter, right? And and our initial tagline for the company was Proteus Skills for Mastering the Future. Because I thought these skills of strategy, of leadership, of management, of communication, of teaming were as as everything flattened out and sped up, that these would be the skills for mastering the future. And so I wanted to have a company to help people um, understand and get better at those skills. And then the other reason was I wanted to be what has come to be called a business partner, but wasn't necessarily called that 30 plus years ago. Rather than just being a vendor of things, I wanted to be a collaborator and a partner with my clients to help them. And this is the mission of Proteus and has been for all these years, help them clarify and move toward their hoped for future. And that's what then subsequently has led to, the, you know, the company being, you know, existing 32 years later. And even in a way, I would say, led to me writing my books, because whenever I've written a book, it's because I've gotten curious about something. And I really want to help uh, people understand how to operate in that space better. So, and it's true of this newest book about change. I really had gotten so, there's been so much change over the last few years and I got so curious about it and wanted to really help people be better at it. So that was the genesis for the latest book. 
Yeah, no, I think that that's exciting. You know, I'm looking forward. I, I read your book and this book, that changed from the inside out. And I was talking to somebody earlier, people are like, oh, you seem to like change. I, I said, I don't like change, but change <laughs> happen whether you like it or not. Yes. So yes. what do you yeah. do to embrace yeah. the change and to come up, you know, surviving that? And can you give us a quick overview about what the book is about and, and we can go deeper. Yes, I'd, I'd love to. And and let me start by, I, I think this is a good way into it, talking to you about the things that you and your listeners, about the things that I got curious about. So, you know, we have had a change practice, we Proteus, for over a decade. And I think we're very successful at integrating the, the nuts and bolts aspects of change, like just the planning that you need to do to make a change and execute it well. And the human side, like the impact on people of the change and how do you how do you help with that? And what I got curious about was exactly what you just said. Why is change so hard? Why is change hard for us as human beings? Even often changes that are going to be beneficial to us are hard for us. So what, what's that about, right? And then the second question I wanted to answer was what actually happens when an individual human being goes through a change? What is that process psychologically and emotionally when you actually go, okay, I'm going to do this and you do it? What, what happens? So that was my impetus to write the book. And then when I had answered those questions, and we'll talk, I'm sure, about the answers, I was very excited to see that the answers to those questions lined up very well with our five-step change model. And so it all kind of came together and voila, there was a book. Yeah. So can you tell us more about what you think the answer are to yeah. those two questions? Yeah. yeah. So when I started thinking more about why change is so hard for us, I looked at history, you know, because so much of who we are now arises from our thousands of years of history as human beings. And I started thinking, you know, if you think about a person 100 years or 200 or 500 or 1,000 years ago, until pretty recently, an individual person's life stayed pretty much the same from beginning to end. So if you're a person who lives anywhere, you know, in, in Asia or in the U.S. or in Europe or in Africa, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, your life is going to be pretty much the same from beginning to end. You're going to be born. You're probably going to grow up where your parents grew up. You're probably going to do the work that your parents did. You're going to eat the food that your parents ate. You're going to go to the same church. You're going to live in the same village. You're going to speak the same language. Just to us now today in 21st century you know, world, unimaginably stable. And when a change happened for these people 100 or 200 or 500 years ago, it was almost always a danger and a threat. It was a war or a famine or a plague or an earthquake. It was like change was bad, right? And so mm -hmm. we're wired to feel like the best thing when there's a change, which is dangerous, is to come back to our previous known state as quickly as possible. That's how we're wired. And for thousands of years, that was the best option. Let's go back to having food after the famine. Let's go back to peace after the war. So here we are in this world, which is just enormously different from that, where change happens every day, every minute. I mean, you know, because you read the book, but I start out with this story about when I was a little kid, we got our first television because television was a new thing. 
And then 10 years later, 10 years later, we got our first color TV. So that was the pace of change 60 years ago, 10 years. And now that level of technological innovation happens about every 30 minutes. So even from 50 years ago, the pace of change has ramped up so much. We know it's not going to slow down. We know it's not going to stop. And yet we still have this historic wiring of like, every time a change happens, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we need to rewire ourselves. We need to learn to think differently about change so that we don't automatically see it as bad. Do you think also oftentimes when you are changing, you don't know what that change is going to look like? So therefore, the anxiety comes from the unknown, but not so much about the change. Yes. No, you're exactly right. And that's when we we started trying to answer the second question, which is what actually happens when somebody goes through a change. We we, uh, developed this thing that we came, as you know, to call the change arc. And the first thing that happens at the beginning of that arc is when a change comes at us, there are some things that we want to know. And it's three things, and they're very predictable. We, the first thing we want to know is, what does this mean to me? What is actually going to be changing for me? What am I going to have to do differently? <laughs> and the second <laughs> thing we want to know is, why is this happening? Because we have a preference not to change, we want some really good reasons before we'll change, right? So why is this happening? And then the third thing is exactly what you just said. What will it look like? when it's done, when the changes happen, because we have this deep fear of the unknown. And that deep fear of the unknown, which I think, again, arises out of our preference for stability, is, as you say, one of the things that creates the most anxiety and change. It's like, I don't even know, I don't even know what you're talking about, and I don't know what it's going to look like when it's done. And that's, that's terrifying for people, right? So then we notice that as we're as we are trying to gather this information about a new change, what does it mean? Why is it happening? What will it look like? Our initial mindset about most change, and I think because of this history that we have with change for thousands of years, is that we assume that any change is going to be difficult and costly and weird, mm-hmm. right? That's our core assumption. So even as we're gathering this information, we already have this negative bias that it's going to be difficult. I, I don't know how to do this. People are going to make it hard to do this. There are going to be obstacles. And costly means it will take from me things I value, mm-hmm. which is big, right? And it could be simple things like time or money. You know, this change will cost me time or money. But more importantly, it's really deep things like identity, or reputation, or relationships, or power, you know, that making this change is going to take from me these things that are really important to me. And weird just means strange, like this is not how we do things around here, right? Yeah. yeah. And so we, we noticed that, and, and you, can, you can tell how people think because it comes out their mouth. So you, a change comes at us, and we start saying things that propose, oh, I don't know how to do this. It's going to be really hard. It's going to take a lot of time. I don't, I'm going to look like an idiot. All these difficult, costly, weird things, right? And then we noticed, and this is where I got excited, Christine, I noticed that when someone did make a change, it was because their mindset shifted. And they, for whatever reason, started to think to themselves, oh, I can see how this change could be easy, or at least doable, rewarding, and normal, 
right? That it could, I could do it. It could be easy. It could be rewarding. It could be that it's going to give me more than it takes away. And normal means, oh, people that I think of as being like me, I look around and they're doing it. And people I admire and want to emulate are doing it, which is why it's so critical for leaders to model a change, because that's part of what we Mm -hmm. think is normative. And I, we noticed that when people started to think in this more hopeful, neutral way that, oh, the change could be easy and rewarding and normal, then they're willing to start doing the new behaviors that the change requires to learn them, to do them, and the change can occur. So that's at the heart of it is why the book is called Change from the Inside Out, because we realize that for any change, if it's just one person or if it's 50,000 people in a huge organization, getting a critical mass of people to make that mindset shift is really the determination of whether or not a change is successful. Does that make sense? And what, yeah. And so what is the trick? How do you make that change in the mindset? Because I totally agree. I think it's amazing. A lot of things in life, it's all yeah. about the power of your mind. Yes. And even if you're feeling, you know, this, you know, I, I remember when my husband passed away and my sister, mm. husband went through um, a mental illness and it's a different because I said like, you know, the fact that I don't have the mental health, I have a, you know, I was privileged to have a mental health. I can tell my brain to tell myself what to yes. do. Yes, what to yes. Think. And but when you go through the mental health, they don't have that capacity as much. Yes. So yes. it's amazing the the power of our mind. Yeah, and that's a wonderful way to frame it, Christine, because that's the that's the powerful truth behind this is that people People who are basically mentally healthy can decide how to think. They can change their mind. And and one of the things we've noticed in working with clients about this is when people, when you when you share this frame with them, almost always people go, oh my gosh, that is how I think about change. When a change comes at me, I assume that it's going to be difficult, that it's going to be costly, that it's going to be weird. Oh my gosh, that's true. And once someone brings that to their conscious attention, then they can start to change their mind. And you know how to change your mind. You just talk to yourself differently. You say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I don't want to assume that it's going to be difficult. How could it be easy? How could I make it easier? How could this be doable? You know, you start asking yourself those kinds of questions and it shifts your mind. And and one of the things we notice is that it's very powerful for leaders to go through this. You know, when, when you get on an airplane, you always hear that thing when they're telling you about the, uh, the oxygen mask. They always say, put on your own mask before attempting mm-hmm. to help others, right? And that's what we say to leaders is, look, if you want to institute a big change in your organization, you have to go through your process first, You have to get clear about the benefits of this change, how it could be easy, how it could be rewarding, how it could be normal. Because if you try to help your people go through it and you haven't gone through it, they'll know that and you'll lose credibility. So you, once leaders have gone through it, then they're in a much better position to help their people make that same mental shift. Mm -hmm. This podcast is sponsored by... Brown Rutnick's Global Life Sciences Group, a team of legal professionals that help life science companies, lenders, and investors around the world turn good science into good business. Learn more at brownrudnick.com. 
This podcast is also sponsored by Canon Quality Group. Canon Quality Group has been helping medtech startups set up quality management systems for over 10 years. If you're unsure when to get started with quality management in your startup, turn to the experts at canonqualitygroup.com. I know you have the steps that can help yeah. people go through yes. changing the, the human side of change. And yeah. I always like what your approach is always practical. Like here, this is the step <laughs> one, two, three, and then do something about it. Tell us more yeah. about it. Okay. So, and and for those of you who might want to read the book, I am, as Christine, as you say, very practical. So for each one in each chapter of the book, there are also these, what we call try it out exercises. So I explain the step and then I say, okay, pick a change that you're going through and try, you know, because I really, I do want it to be practically applicable. So the first step, and usually a change in an organization, there's usually a small group of fairly senior people who are thinking about it first. That's just how change usually happens in an organization. So the first step we encourage is clarify the change and why it's needed. So a lot of times, unfortunately, people just kind of roll into a change without really getting clear about being able to say very clearly, what are we changing? What exactly are we changing? And once you've said that, then you can think through the risks and rewards of that, and you can come up with a rationale. Now, you notice that what's the change and why is it happening are the first two things anyone wants to know about a change. So it's, it's really important to sort that stuff out first. And in that first step, when you're figuring out the why, it's very important as a leader to remember that you want the why to be meaningful for the people you're talking to. Like a couple of years ago, I was helping an organization with change and the CEO said, well, if we make this change, it'll make us much more profitable. And I said, okay, that's meaningful to you because your compensation is tied to profit. That may not be meaningful to somebody, a frontline worker who's going to be making the same amount of money independent of how profitable the company is. So so think about the why that's meaningful for them. And what they came to is the customer will like it better and it will take unnecessary work out of your job. All right, I'm down. You know, if I'm a frontline person, that's meaningful to me. So you figure out in that first step, what's the change? Why is it needed? Then the second step is envision the future state. And this goes to what you said about fear of the unknown. Get really clear about what the future will look like after the change. What will be changed as a result of the change? If you can say that clearly, then in subsequent steps, you can communicate it clearly to people. But also, if you get really clear about that, then you can design measures of success so that you'll know whether or not the change has worked. So that's the work of the second step. The third step, which is called build the change, you start bringing more people into the tent. So you figure out if there's going to be a change team, you put that change team together, you bring them in, you clarify for them what you've figured out in the first two steps. What's the change? Why is it needed? What will the future state look like to help them through their change arc, right? And then you also think about other stakeholders. Is there anybody else who's key to the success of the change who hasn't either already been thinking about it or isn't on the change team? And sometimes there are. It might, like, just an example, if you're making a big change to, let's say, your financial systems, the head of legal might not be on the change team and he or she might not have been in those initial conversations, but they, it's going to be critical that they be on board with the change in order for it to happen well because there are going to be some uh, legal ramifications of changing the financial systems, right? 
So you figure that out. And then once you've got the change team and you're talking to the stakeholders, then you build the practical plan. You know, any big change is really just a project. And so you, in effect, make the project plan with the project charter and the project schedule. You, you build it together with the change team. So then the fourth step is the step that most often does not happen in organizations. And we call that step lead the transition. And that's where you really focus on helping people through the change. So the first thing you do is figure out who's going to be most affected by this change and what is going to be hard for them about it, right? What are they going to have to let go of or do differently? And then given that, you can build a plan that helps them make that transition helps them make the mindset shift and learn the new skills and behaviors that they need. And then you can layer that transition plan on top of the change plan. So while you're making the nuts and bolts, let's say you're changing a system, a big system. Um, Let's say you're changing your customer relations system and you're going to go from Salesforce to someone to HubSpot. And it's going to, lots of practical changes are going to need to happen. And the people who are going to be most affected by that, let's say, is the sales, the salespeople, right? So you want to think through what's going to be hard for them about making this change and how can we help? What information can we give? What choices are they going to need to make? How can we give them the training they need, the tools they need? So you make sure that you have a transition plan that's going to help them make the change as you're making the change itself. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the last step we call keep the change going. And two really important things happen here. All changes have unintended consequences. And lots of times people make a change and then they just kind of walk away and they don't wait to see, oh, wait, wait, that we didn't think about this. And now we're going to have to make this subsequent related change. So it's stay in touch so you can keep making the little tweaks that are necessary. But almost more, more importantly, it's that fifth step is a chance to look at your organization and see if there are ways that it is getting in the way of change overall. Because sometimes when you are making a big change, you, you realize that either your structures or some systems and processes or even your culture are, are impediments to change. They're blockers to change. And that if you, like, for instance, sometimes I was just talking to a client about this this morning, that because they grew out of a lot of small companies, they have seven different point of sale systems. And that's just an impediment to growth and change. So that's something they need to address and, and, and rationalize in order for this change that they're trying to make right now to be successful or any future changes. So that fifth step is a a step is a chance to make your whole organization more change capable. The thing I love about this process is it's kind of infinitely scopable. You can use it all the way from planning a vacation with your family to planning an organizational transformation for a hundred thousand person enterprise. You know, it's just these five simple steps are very practical and they really cover the territory. I like what you're saying about keep the change going and identify areas that potentially can, you know, make the change not successful because yeah. I think it kind of uh, feeding through the cycle because the next time you you try to promote another change, the person who are being left behind is like, that is not something that I benefit exactly. and that make your job even harder. Oh, that's exactly right. The, the, better, the better you do any change, 
the more credible it makes you and your organization at when the next change comes along. And that's, you know, the subtitle of the book is making you, your team, and your organization change capable. And so that's how we, when we, when I wrote the book and when we work with clients, we always think we're not just trying to help you through this one change. We're trying to make you more change capable. We're trying to make it so that in this era of nonstop change, you're, you're good with that. You're okay with that. You know how to make change. You're good at making change because it's just going to keep happening. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I think I, you know, oftentimes people, I mean, I said earlier that I don't like change, but in reality, we change every second, every minute we yeah. change. Yes. And I yes. think major changes maybe happen less, but actually somehow when you do like incremental steps of change, it doesn't feel so daunting. And yes. when something that's yeah. more big change, just because somebody saying it out loud, all of a sudden you feel like I did not have the chance to think incrementally about the changes. That's a really good point. And that, that leads me to, so in that step four of leading the transition, which is the critical step where you help people think about how to help people through the change, we, we have designed, my business partner, Jeff, designed uh, these four what we call change levers, levers in the sense of force multiplier. And there are four things to think about as you design the transition plan that really help people and for the reasons you just spoke about. So the first one is, the first lever we have people think about is increase understanding. How are you going to increase people's understanding about the change? Like you just said, it kind of comes at you and you don't know enough, right? So how can you give people that information they want? What's the change? Why is it happening? How is it going to affect me? What do I need to do differently? Why are we doing it? You know, all that contextual information that too often when there's an organizational change, people don't get. So think about how you can increase people's understanding that will make the change make more sense to them. Okay, the second lever is clarify and reinforce priorities. And the reason this is important is because often when there's a big change in an organization, people just kind of assume that everything's going to change. It's all up for grabs. And that's almost never true. So the second lever is almost help people helping people understand what's not changing is as important as helping them understand what is changing. Like in that, what I talked about, if you're changing your CRM and you go to the sales force and you say, you know, a lot of your job is still going to be the same. You're still going to be responsible for your sales quotas. You're still going to be doing the monthly reports. You're still, the only thing that will be changing is how. That's really helpful to people. It's kind of soothing and reassuring. It gives them a frame, right? Mm -hmm. The third lever we call give control. And this is so important because, and you kind of pointed this out, when a change comes at us in an organization, we feel kind of out of control. We feel like we're at the effect of it and it's, it can be overwhelming. So we really encourage leaders to think about giving people as many choices as they can. Like lots of times you can, people can decide when, when do you want to do this differently or how should we schedule this or when would you like to tell your people or what's the best way to share that message? As many choices as you can give them, it really helps them engage and feel part of the process versus just feeling like victims, right? And then the last one, the fourth one is give support. And at the beginning of any change, the most important kind of support that a leader can give is just listening. 
because people are going to be asking those questions about, oh, is this going to be hard? Is this going to be costly? Is this going to be weird? And they don't need you to talk them out of it and they don't need you to reassure them. They just need you to listen to them. Just listen, take it in, acknowledge the legitimacy of their concerns. And then once they feel fully listened to, then you can give them more tangible support. Well, here are the tools and here's the training and here's your mentor and here's how this will work and here's the timeline. So, but it's critical to remember that the first most important kind of support that people need is listening. Because what what leaders do sometimes is people come with their legitimate initial hesitation or concern, leaders label that like you're change resistant and you're risk averse and you're negative. No, they're just human beings and they're reacting to change like we all react to change, right? And if you can just listen and support their legitimate concerns, then they'll be ready to hear the solution, right? It's almost like they have to go through that hump yes, in order to exactly. make the change happen and instead of pushing them back to, you know, below the hum. Yes. If you listen yes. to them, you almost help them go through the hum and then they're ready for change. That that's a great way to frame it. That's exactly right. And and what leaders forget sometimes it's and I, I pointed this out to somebody the other day. They were like, oh my people are so risk averse. I said, okay, wait a minute. When did you hear about this change? Oh, I heard about it about six weeks ago. How long did it take you to feel okay with it? Uh, a couple of weeks. Right. So your people are now exactly where you were six weeks ago. Give them the same time to get over that hump, to feel okay with it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Because um, I always, I, I, one time I met somebody I knew, a friend, who was saying that, oh, I love change. And it's like, you love change because you make the change. Exactly. Exactly. It's so different when, when it's our idea. And so, you know, it's really important for leaders to understand that when people first hear about a change, to, for them to hesitate and feel concerned and maybe even fearful is perfectly normal. They're not being negative. They're not being resistant. That is a normal human reaction, and you need to help them through the curve. That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing all that very uh, useful steps and uh, keep us open-minded about change. And it's change is definitely all around us every day. Yes, every day. <laughs> Whether we like it or not. I feel like the pandemic has just ripped the top off. I mean, it's so, so much changed. Like, I, I'm sure you remember, all of us remember back at the beginning of the pandemic, almost two years ago now, when we heard something that we thought, that's not possible. Like I remember the first thing I heard, and this may seem so silly, was that they were canceling the New York St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I thought, wait, they can't do that. They haven't done that for 250 years. And then the next day I heard that they were canceling the NBA finals and the day (laughs) after that, that they were closing schools. So it was just like more and more and more. So all these things that we thought weren't possible have happened over the last couple of years. And so in a way, I think that's good. It's kind of opened us up to maybe we can address some of these bigger things like social justice and climate change. You know, maybe we can make these changes. And so I I just, I want to help us all. I want to help people be better and more open and more capable when it comes to making necessary change. I think, you know, it's not, it's, I think change happened in so many different ways. Like the pandemic is almost like in a, 
somebody was, I read it somewhere that when you're, you know, when you're playing, when you're boxing, I'm not even a boxer, <laughs> when you're in the arena, you can dance around, you can, you know, try to hit somebody, but you're still dancing around. But then once you hit, put in that corner, you have to do something. Yes. yes and I yes. think sometimes uh, change that has planned, you have the luxury to yes. uh, be thoughtful. And But sometimes you're in that corner that's also forced change to happen Yes, that you have to do in order to survive. That's another change that's kind of hard to do. That's a, a really good point, Christine, because I feel like, you know, the optimal way to do a change is what I'm, you know, what I'm talking about, where you're planful and you think through it and you bring more and more people into the tent and you cascade that change arc. But the, the good thing is when you get better at making change, then that really serves you in those difficult situations where you don't have a lot of time and you just have to react quickly. So the more change capable we are overall, it serves us in any situation where we have time to plan and where we don't, right? Right, right. So I think that's uh, set you to get help you get ready when you're in that position. So yes, 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 exactly. But yeah, it's been really great to have you. I always learn a lot from our conversation and your book and um, check it out. It's changed from the inside out by Erica Anderson. Thank you so much. I love these conversations. I really appreciate it. And I hope this is helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I hope so. I think so. It's um, change is something that we are all habits of creatures. Yes. Yes. Creatures of habit. Habit of creatures. Yes. Creatures of I habit. I know what you mean. Creatures of habit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like habit of creatures. Like, no, creatures of habit. <laughs> My ESL. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, change comes yeah. every day. And I said to, you know, when I lost my husband, I love him a lot and everything. And I always tell people, what you miss about somebody is the little things that you do every day. You know, you come yeah. home give you a kiss, you, you know, yeah. get you your tea. Those are yeah. the habit that you have, yes. right? Yes. And, yes. and sometimes you see people who are focused on, get me a trip to Hawaii. That's It's like when when that person died, you don't even think about that part. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yes. No, that's absolutely true. And and to the I think that whenever we suffer a personal loss, we understand that we need to grieve, of course, and then create new habits, create a new right. way of, of living, a new approach. And and really, when it comes down to it, making any change is making new behaviors and new habits. So right. it's how do we get ourselves to the point where we can do that, where we can move right. forward, right? Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying when, like, the sudden loss that I had, that was also like, I was back in that corner like okay that's yes 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 so that is something that you wish you have time to plan but you know it's right there (laughs) yes yeah so but anyhow it's this is great no this is good um are you thinking about writing another book maybe i can inspire you to write another book That'll be interesting. You know, I, I'm, I, I, it's, it's like when you, well, I, I don't, I don't know if you have children, but when you have a child, the last thing you're thinking about until the baby's about a year old is having another child, you know? So, 
<laughs> I'm I'm still in the, the book just came out three months ago, but if if history is any indication, what will happen is about a year from now, I'll start getting curious about something else. And then I'll yeah, want to no, it, it's, you know? it's fun to see what are the things that you're curious about. So <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, if, you know, people want to buy the book, it's at Amazon or they could go to my website, which is ericaanderson.com or to the Proteus website, which is proteus-international.com and find out lots of interesting stuff. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Technology Podcast. We want to thank our executive producer, Herminio Neto, and our podcast engineer, Andrew Rojek. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. The Health Technology Podcast is available on all major platforms. 